This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Thursday, November 10th, and we welcome you to Real Talk. Jesperson and Hicks in a moment. Karima Saad, a lawyer and uh, a political satirist, a cartoonist uh, out of Ontario. She was just uh, she had her day in court, so to speak, yesterday and uh, and, and uh, a trespassing charge was dropped uh, by Hamilton City prosecutors. You may remember this story. She was arrested back in May. Uh, at an Ontario progressive conservative campaign stop. This, of course, Ontario Premier uh, Doug Ford seeking re-election at that time. You know, he won. He won big. Um, Kareem is not his biggest fan. And uh, she was out there exercising her right to protest. We're going to talk to her and we'll get her to characterize it. Um, She was there in in, in her estimation. And and I've seen the comments that she's made to, to media over the past couple of days, and for that matter, after she was arrested, she was there in the context of a political commentator. And so that turned this situation into one that was even more supercharged because it was it was uh, you know presented as the arrest of a journalist at a political event at a campaign stop that she had RSVP'd for, by the way. Well, yesterday, the uh, judge said or the prosecutor withdraws the trespassing charges. She's a lawyer, by the way, and uh, basically says Karima uh, to journalists yesterday. She says, I feel somewhat vindicated, but we're curious to pick her brain on that. That's coming up. Plus, Cheryl Oates is going to join us. If you're if you follow politics in Alberta, you'll know the name Cheryl Oates, a senior staffer in the Rachel Notley NDP government for a number of years between 2015, 2019. She's now working as a, a public affairs consultant. She's doing a lot of work uh, behind the scenes, helping people understand how to interact with government and lobby government and all those kinds of things. Uh, Cheryl's got great insight into not just how a premier's office might operate, but in particular, how Rachel Notley and the NDP might be processing those by-election results that we talked about yesterday in Brooks Medicine Hat. Of course, Danielle Smith winning her seat in the Alberta legislature with a win in that riding. But the NDP candidate fared pretty well, better than some people expected, right? Including me, if I'm going to be honest with you. She beat the former mayor of Brooks, Barry Morishita. You know this. We talked about it yesterday. Uh, the Alberta party finishing third in that race. So what does this mean for the NDP? And, 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 and what does this mean for, for voters in Medicine Hat? You may remember in 2015, the city of Medicine Hat sent an NDP representative to the legislature, Bob Warner, who ended up being the speaker, right? But this riding, Brooks Medicine Hat, did not exist when Rachel Notley won government. It did exist when Jason Kenney ran with the United Conservatives in 2019, and of course, a United Conservative candidate uh, at that time named Michaela Glasgow. Now, Michaela Fry won that. So we're going to get into the nuance of that. What is the next seven or eight months or so look like heading into May of 2023 when we expect that Albertans will be voting in the next provincial election. That to come, plus other news of the day as it develops. And of course, we're always taking a look into our Real Talk mailbag as well. Uh, I wanted to touch on this. This is a story that, that we've not talked about yet on the show. Uh, but several of you have, have written into us sharing the same video link. This is a video out of North Carolina. Uh, John, I'm not sure if you saw this one. Did you see this video of this guy that ultimately ended up? I mean, I'm going to kind of jump to the end of the story for a set. Well, it's not the end of the story. It's very rarely ever the end of a story. Uh, but have you seen this? This guy is, has called the police. He's he's well, the word that we would use is stalking. No, I haven't. He's seen stalking a woman, a former coworker of his, a former colleague of his in North Carolina. Uh, she doesn't want anything to do with him. And so he calls the police, if you can believe it. Now, now, the guy's got a lot of issues going on. And if you've seen the video, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It has literally millions of views. But it's kind of a bone-chilling video. Uh, the attitude that he has, the the words that he's using, talking to the police officers, the sort of sense of entitlement that he feels. You almost don't feel like the video is real. Uh, these police officers are, are speaking to this guy who's insisting uh, that he wants an opportunity to talk to this girl. He says, he says, I, I just have a song I want to play for her, and she doesn't want to listen to the song. Characterized, the cops basically say, "Well, she doesn't want to listen to it. That's her choice." She's kind of spoken. He says, "Well," he goes, "Yeah, but like women like to be chased." He says, "Women like to be pursued." The police officer says, "Well, actually, women don't really like to be chased." 
Because well, I did, I just, I was, I went after her just for a couple of blocks, just a couple of streets. Now, what's the song you wanted to play for? He says, "Well, you know, it's, baby, it's cold outside." You know, the the, the the somewhat what has become a controversial Christmas song. Uh, the song about, ah, I'm not really sure. Yeah, come on. I don't really want to. Yeah, come on. Well, this guy is that personified. He starts talking about some of the themes that he sees in porn. I mean, it's troubling stuff. Now, the end of the story ultimately is, I mean, this guy goes back to his car. The police officers tell him to leave the property, tell him to leave. They say, we're not doing anything here. You got to get out of here. We suggest you get out of here. He goes back to his car and makes a bone chilling statement about women who don't get in touch with themselves. Bad things can happen. Well, the Internet explodes on this one. The guy, the perpetrator, if you will, is the one who posted the video. I suppose, assuming that people were going to be sympathetic or people were going to be on his side. Well, we've heard from real talkers like this one. Christy, I pulled your email uh, from talk at ryanjesperson.com. She says, I, I, I opened Twitter for the first time in a long time to, to do more than glance in. And she says, I don't know how long this video has been making the rounds. Uh, Christy, I've seen it several times over the past few days. I think it's within the last week. She says, I, I watched a, a good portion of it, but honestly, it makes my stomach twist into knots. And so I wasn't able to watch the whole thing. Christy, if you do go to the end, the, the final 30 seconds are the absolute worst. I mean, the final 30 seconds when he's in his car, I can even fast forward it. We're showing it to our friends that are tuned in on YouTube right now. But the guy starts talking about how he's not doing well and how, how bad things can happen and how he's not feeling great. And it's really, I mean, it's just absolutely terrifying stuff. He wanted the police officers to go visit this girl's dad because the girl's dad had made some comments to him. This video is just wrapping here. The girl's dad had made some comments to him suggesting, obviously, that he better leave her alone. The dad had suggested that he might do something if this guy doesn't leave his daughter alone. So this guy wanted the police to visit the dad. Christy says, is this something that that you might consider tackling this story? Because this, you know, so-called nice young man, sarcasm dripping, basically hits every Internet incel 4chan talking point about women. And Christy's right. And he's stalking her for real. Christy says, it just makes me think of every time women are told the internet isn't real life or any other similar bullshit. That from Christy, we appreciate you sharing. I can let you know, the, the, the guy's name is Jacob Yurkis. He's 25 years of age. Because of public interest in the video, because millions of people, literally millions, have seen it. And because messages like Christy in good faith abound people wondering about the safety of this young woman uh, people talking about the bigger picture of, of stalking in general and attitudes toward women and that ongoing theme of women and other groups saying we do not feel safe the fbi gets involved and the fbi starts investigating with lenore city out of north carolina lenore city police who just made an arrest uh, this was on Tuesday of this week, so just a couple of days ago, and he's now charged with stalking and uh, wanted to update that story. If this is something that's been on your radar, like Christie's, we want to remind you that our email inbox is always there for you to get in touch with us, to let us know what you're thinking about stories that are in the news around us. How are you processing them? How are they landing in your household? What are you and your friends or you and your family saying about them? Oftentimes, the, the purpose of a show like this, a talk show, is to put something in front of us and digest it and dissect it and try to figure it out. And so this is one that I uh, want to let you know, of course, we're going to be paying close attention to. We'll be following that story. But of course, like Christy alluded to, she says this hits all the major talking points. This hits all the, 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 the things that we need to focus on and talk about in the bigger picture, right? People in your neck of the woods, probably people you know that have experienced this type of thing in past. Kareem Asad coming up in just a second. Before we get to her, I wanted to give you a heads up about our Real Talk Roundtable coming up tomorrow on Friday. It's November 11th. It is a stat. And of course, we're going to be doing a show, a special Remembrance Day edition of Real Talk. We're going to be introducing some guests that you've not heard from before. And then our roundtable, we're going to bring back a panelist that's been on Real Talk in past Don Levers, the author of the book Our Father's Footsteps, which looks back to D-Day 
and the landing on those beaches, that mile marker moment, those very significant days and weeks and months leading uh, to the end of World War II. Well, when Don was on the show last year, we showed the cover of the book and the cover of his book features a photograph of soldiers in World War II. And a real talker saw that and recognized their family member. And they reached out to us. We put them in touch with Dawn, and they've since connected. And they're doing work together now. And so we're going to bring them back along with another individual. She's going to be joining us from England. She'll be checking in live. Dawn literally met her on the beach at Normandy. And it's going to be a powerful conversation. We'll also be focusing on some of the more current implications of service internationally. What Canadian servicemen and servicewomen experience uh, in terms of uh, mental health challenges, PTSD, and some of the other impacts that war and conflict and, of course, frontline service can bring. It's going to be a powerful show, and we invite you to join us, as we say, live or later. That's coming up on our Real Talk Roundtable tomorrow, presented by Urban Timber. Urban Timber, that's the team that built the table that I sit around every single day here on the show. It's a beautiful white oak table with an epoxy pour and a beautiful base. John, it seems to me this hand-cranked base uh, that characterizes this table here, it, it catches folks' eye almost more than the tabletop itself. It is a complete custom job. We walked into Urban Timber with a vision. Not only did they elevate our vision, but they delivered this thing in pristine condition, set it up, and then followed up to make sure that we were satisfied. The process could not have been any better. They've got a brand new showroom and they love to show you what they can do, how they can transform, whether it's a dinner table you're looking for, maybe it's a boardroom table, maybe it's some barnwood paneling or a different type of flooring you're looking to elevate your new space or a space you're going to turn around and transform. You can find them online at urbantimber.ca or you can visit their new showroom, including several hours. They're open on Saturday for face-to-face meetings at Urban Timber. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials have a whole bunch going on that they want us to tell you about. They've always got new things happening on their blog at granddog.ca. Of course, you know them for the quality raw food. That's what we talk about all the time. But of course, they've got cat food too. So cat lovers, you're not excluded from this. You go to the blog link at granddog.ca. You can learn more about how to build a raw diet for cat. Uh, they've also got a couple of updates. Number one, if you're a longtime customer of Grand Dog Essentials, you know their Doggy Moggy Chicken Blend. Very popular. It's on sale for the month of November. 20% off. No discount code required. And they've also got a new product blend, the Doggy Moggy Beef Chicken. What makes them better? Beef and chicken? Well, combining the two. Feeding a variety of proteins is ideal when feeding your pets. Grand Dog Essentials delivers to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, or Central Alberta. And the promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first-time order. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to let you know that over the 16 Alberta locations that they cover, these 16 communities across Alberta, They've got a whole bunch of weekly specials for you, and you can view those, the flyers, on their website at Friesen.com. They've got the weekly flyer with all the money-saving specials. They've got the family essentials flyer. They know what families are looking for when it comes to putting great food on the table. And then the healthy savings flyer. You're looking to make some changes in your life. You're looking to better yourself and your situation. You can make it happen at Friesen Brothers. For more than 65 years, Alberta-grown, and Alberta owned. And before we get to this interview, want to let you know it's presented by our friends at Kubi Energy. Kubi Energy providing solar energy solutions to power your life. They've had a supercharged week themselves with CEO Jake Kubiski named to Edify's list of Edmonton's top 40 under 40. But Jake is quick to shrug off the praise, recognizing his team members that have built this into Western Canada's busiest solar installer. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. Our first guest this morning uh, found herself, uh, well, arrested uh, back in May when she was attending an event 
an Ontario progressive conservative campaign stop in Hamilton. She's a well-known lawyer in Toronto and a political satirist. Everybody pays attention to her cartoons, which oftentimes biting against that provincial government. She's best known for her comments and documenting the so-called freedom movement. As of yesterday, uh, Hamilton City prosecutors withdrawing trespassing charges against Karima Saad, who joins us live on this Thursday morning. Thanks for making time for us and welcome to Real Talk, making your debut today. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Why don't we set the scene for people that aren't 100% familiar with this story. Back in May, you're attending a campaign stop in Hamilton and you're there what? You're there covering it uh, as a political commentator, so to speak? Honestly, I was there in my capacity as a private citizen. Um, I like to attend events, rallies, um, political sort of get togethers, um, just to observe and and document. Um, So it wasn't in any formal kind of media role. Um, But I I do have a history, as you noted, of critiquing the provincial government. And that includes Doug Ford, who was scheduled to attend that rally. Um, And so I showed up and was immediately advised that I wasn't actually welcome there, that the RSVP I had in my hand was invalid and fake and that I had to leave. And when I pressed for answers about who was asking me to leave and why, uh, I got arrested and handcuffed and escorted off the property. Hmm. So this is, uh, I mean, we, we have a, a the video here that you posted. This is you, obviously, I, I, I suppose, dealing with one of uh, Premier Ford's at that time, PC leader, Doug Ford's staffers. At, at what point did you recognize that this was going to escalate? Like, did you, did you at this point that we're seeing in the video as you're having this back and forth with him, did you figure that you were going to wind up wearing the silver bracelets? No, not, not even a little bit. Um, I went in sort of with the mistaken assumption that I would be able to assess and leave when necessary if that's what I ultimately had to do. Um, but in fact, the arrest was quite abrupt. So it was maybe a half hour from me arriving at this door um, to being let out in cuffs. And half of that time at least was spent waiting for police who I thought you know, I'd be able to explain the situation to and at least understand who was asking me to leave. I I don't think that my request in that sense was outrageous or invalid, given that this was a pre-election political rally for specific candidates. So, I mean, you you have an advantage that a lot of people wouldn't have, and that's that you're a lawyer. You, You understand how the law works. You understand how it's supposed to be applied at the moment. I mean, I would imagine it's somewhat shocking uh, to, to wind up in the back of a police car. Uh, did you have a sense at that time that these charges were going to be withdrawn? Were you confident in your situation? Or is this something you've been losing sleep over for the past months? Well, I mean, I was pretty confident they were wrong. <laughs> so that gave me some solace. Um, but it turns out that being right isn't actually sort of a blanket immunity from the consequences of, uh, in this case, it was a provincial offense. Um, In fact, it was unnecessary for them to cuff me in the first place because there was no criminal act that was being committed. Um, I I was fairly confident it would be withdrawn or at the very least, you know, I'd I'd be able to face off against my accusers. Um, The part that was hard to manage was after the fact, Hamilton police issued a press release that was completely inaccurate and depicted me as blocking roadways and being belligerent. Uh, And then when they were confronted with videos of what actually transpired, they walked it back, sort of, but the reputational damage of media picking up that initial press release and repeating the lies had already been done. Yeah, this is, I mean, the at the time when you were arrested, the Criminal Lawyers Association had, had stated that it was alarmed uh, and there were questions on whether or not police officers were acting on the orders of Doug Ford himself, which is obviously troubling. I think most people realize that politicians do not direct police action, or at least they're not supposed to. Uh, you, you were represented by a lawyer. You didn't represent yourself. Uh, James Bowie, your lawyer, had you done some digging there? Did, was, was there any, uh, any, any sort of, um, uh, information that you determined or became privy to that led you to believe that there may have been an order from political office here? Well, the most telling thing is that 
uh, in our disclosure requests, there was a complete unwillingness on the part of the PC party um, to identify who actually made the order. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it creates more questions than are answered. Um, and, and ultimately, that's why the, the prosecutor chose to withdraw, because there was no one, no accuser for me to face off against in court, and therefore no reasonable prospect of conviction. Um, but, you know, it was not a satisfactory answer in the sense that the damage was already done. And the forum of provincial court is one that I'm, I'm not the moving party or the applicant. So I have no control over the process, um, which is why I'm now looking at uh, options for a charter application um, with a, a law firm that specializes in constitutional litigation. Yeah, I wanted to ask you what what, what other options you're, you're considering or, or what you may pursue uh, moving forward. Is this something where you'd be suing the premier's office? Um, I don't know exactly who the responding party would be. I suspect it would be the provincial, um, the party itself, um, because it was their event. They were the occupiers of that space. Um, there may be a couple of other um, uh, parties as well. Um, but the, the objective would be there are different things you can ask for in constitutional litigation. You can ask for a declaration. That's the way something transpired was not constitutional or proper. It's possible to seek damages. It's possible to look to change law. Um, so exploring those options to figure out what's feasible and what makes sense in, in, in the context. Most people are going to hear this on the podcast, but but, but I, I oftentimes try to direct people to the YouTube page when we're showing things and we want to feature some of your cartoons. Uh, we, we don't have to go through and describe each one. There's a ton of them. People can just Google Kareem Asad political cartoons or political satire. and There's a whole bunch. You've obviously been very critical of the Doug Ford PC government. He remains premier. Uh, he received a pretty big mandate with regards to his, his election win. How did that sit with you, generally speaking? I mean, this is one where I know on a lot of files, you, you've had a lot to say about him. Well, I mean, they're not very good. So it's sort of low hanging fruit in terms of comics, just the way that he conducts himself and the government. It's buffoonish and cartoonish. I barely have to try. Um, you know, the election itself was disappointing in large part because of voter apathy. Um, it was a small percentage, less than half the province who actually voted. Um, and I believe 18 percent um, that gave this supermajority to the PC party. Um, so it, it speaks to like our democratic processes. I think that, you know, like we can speculate about why that is. Um, I have a sense that it, it felt like the election had been called before it even happened um, with sort of the heavy influence of polls discouraging people from actually participating. So, you know, my interest and, and sort of ongoing work is to, to encourage people to get engaged um, in whatever way they can and make sense for them. Um, voting is obviously one option and avenue, but not the only one, um, because the the issues that are determined at the provincial level are, are very, very significant. Uh, Karima, Let's talk about the, the, the so-called freedom convoy or the, the freedom movement. Obviously, you were you were penning cartoons. Or you were, you were, you're illustrating, you know, your, your thoughts on that. There's this this public inquiry into invoking the Emergencies Act. We're hearing from a lot of the, the key players, obviously, throughout this. Uh, now, you're in Toronto, obviously not Ottawa, but but I mean, your province was was center stage through this occupation coming up on a on a year ago. Um, how are you wrapping your mind around the impact of that longer term, where it stands right now, and, and basically kind of this unsettled, polarized reality? It just feels, when, when you talk about the Freedom Convoy, it's, it just gets people's backs up right now in a couple of different directions. Yeah, that, I think that's a fair assessment. I actually was in Ottawa for the duration of the convoy. I was there from January 28th or so um, until around February 20th. Um, so I, I watched it all play out. I was there on the streets recording, talking to people. Um, and so it's been surreal to observe the 
inquiry and and especially Doug Ford's unwillingness, it seems, to testify as to his role because um, clearly as the premier of the province, um, you know, there were responsibilities he had to discharge. Um, and it's unfortunate that the commission may not hear directly from him. Um, as for things being polarizing, I think that's just the state of our world in sort of this epistemic crisis of not knowing what's real and what's not and who to trust and uh, everyone is suspicious of everything. Um, and, and I don't have a solution for that. Um, my approach has been to be inquisitive um, and, you know, I continue to do that. I don't think everything is as clear cut as made out to be. Um, I think that there's a tendency toward simple binary solutions um, because that's palatable and easy for people, um, but it is harmful in the long run because it, it is a complex world. And so the erosion of civil liberties that, you know, the so-called freedom convoy have been screaming about, whether they are the catalysts for that or not, that's a separate discussion. Um, but it's hard to disagree that um, democratic norms and so on are being eroded and, and our rights um, are at stake and, and need to be, you know, really insisted upon that, that those are granted. We just had a situation in Ontario where the premier invoked the notwithstanding clause to force through unconstitutional legislation um, pertaining to the right to strike. So these are all live issues. And I think it's a distraction to be fighting amongst each other when the real concern is the state. Yeah, no kidding. Um, John, can you call up that that cartoon that we have of Krima's with the shark and the raft? You know, the one I'm talking about. It just I mean, it's 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 great commentary and picture worth a thousand words. But but maybe, maybe you can describe it uh, for the audience, Krima. Yeah, this is actually one of the earliest um, political comics I put out. It was in the context of running for a position with the Law Society of Ontario. Um, and so that's me in the raft. Um, and what I was trying to depict here is that for new lawyers, um, there are a lot of challenges and obstacles that aren't necessarily apparent when you go through law school and you're just sort of flung into the real world and, and the supports um, to ensure someone's success. And given sort of how expensive it is now to go through law school compared to um, some more senior colleagues at the bar who, you know, paid for it by mowing lawns in the summer, um, among other things, right? Um, that it, in order for the profession to keep flourishing, um, there needs to be attention paid to sort of mentorship and ensuring that new lawyers are taken care of. And so that was from a few years ago. I still think it holds true. You've um, I know that that for you personally, the affordable housing crisis in Ontario is 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 something that is front of mind uh, for you and uh, and obviously for millions of people uh, in Ontario in particular for for thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It's a challenge that precludes them or prevents them from having appropriate housing. I mean, this is a, a reality that affects them every single day. Uh, what are your thoughts on progress being made or not made uh, in Ontario and across the country? What do you see as effective politicking? Where do you see the ball being dropped? And ultimately, what would a solution look like to you? <laughs> well, uh, so that's like a whole episode. Um, but... In the next two hours, <laughs> if you could just spell it out. <laughs> um, my, my primary area of practice is housing law. It's not the only thing I do, but it's a, a bulk of it. And I work with both landlords and tenants. Um, so I have sort of this rounded experience, uh, although the landlords I work with tend to be at very small scale. Um, to me, the fundamental issue is one that is difficult to resolve because of a lack of political will. Um, and that's housing is considered a commodity um, sort of separate from its actual function, which is to provide shelter and that being a human right. And the way that real estate and speculation works or is working and, and the chunk of the GDP that it makes up um, makes it big business, but um, prices can increase based on just speculation and not actual tangible improvements to a land or 
it, it's disconnected from reality. Uh, and so that creates incentives for landlords to try and get as much as they can from a property. Um, and what, in Ontario, I don't know the situation um, in Alberta, but in Ontario, um, we do have rent control Mostly, like there's a loophole that the that Doug Ford introduced. Um, but once you move out, the unit is empty and the landlord can re-rent at whatever price. Yeah. So there's, you know, uh, a very steep incline in market rates where if you're a long-standing tenant, the landlord has a reason to want to get you out mm-hmm. because they can get more for their unit. And then you, as the person being evicted, are in deep trouble because there may not be anything in your neighborhood or even in the city um, that's affordable. So it's this real tension um, and sort of the gap between haves and have nots keeps increasing because as you pay more and more toward rent, um, the idea of a deposit, you know, is like fictitious um, because Mm. there's just only so much money that most people can make. Um, So that I think is sort of a, it's not specific or unique to Ontario, this problem, it's Canada wide, it's in fact global. Um, But the the core issue is housing as treated as a regular commodity. Um, And and I don't don't know how we fix that either um, without making tough political decisions. Yeah, tough political decisions. Inventory is obviously huge, and 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 I think when you're talking about affordable housing, there's got to be subsidized inventory. Uh, you know, we were talking about this in Alberta just a short time ago. Uh, you know, I mean, with regards to some of the affordable housing challenges here, but I, I don't think, and I want to be so careful when I talk about this because, like, you know, we, we have sort of stable housing for our family and we're comfortable. And I don't want to start saying, like, it's not an issue because that's not my reality. You know, I don't, I'm not qualified to talk about that. Um, I think it's a bit less of an issue here. I see that, I know that the trend over the past couple of years is that landlords were actually having to drop their prices because there, there was inventory. But when you talk about affordable housing, that's a whole different ball game, right? Like, like a single parent or somebody that's trying to leave an abusive situation, doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have a big nest egg. That's different than like downtown condos, right? These, they need to be different conversations. I do know my brother, his wife, and their two little boys in Vancouver, I mean, you're describing their exact scenario. My brother's been in that condo for 20-plus years in that apartment. And so with rent controls, it's remained relatively affordable, but other people coming into that building are seeing their rents quite a bit higher than his. And so the landlord in that building is lacks any motivation uh, to do anything uh, to help my brother out with any of his reasonable requests because quite frankly I think they'd probably rather he leave so they can jack up the rents and put somebody else in there and it's a it's a really tough situation to be in for him because he's not getting the basic services that you would expect he's got to do a lot of it on his own and 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 that's just one person I know that there's thousands if if not more than that stories like that across the country yeah, it, it, that's it, it's a common story, and and I think um, especially for renters, but even for um, landlords who you know uh, have a couple of properties, one property, or renting their basement, um, our our tribunal system is sort of in a a very bogged up state. So that sort of delay in having a matter heard um, can be expensive to the point of life altering. Um, and and a lot of people don't realize how close they are um, to that being a reality um, until it happens, right? Um, so so that's sort of, it, it's been a crisis for, I think, as long as I've been alive, but only becoming more and more acute. Um, so how, how do we deal with it is the million dollar question. Um, and, and I don't think it's by continuing the status quo. Hmm. Um, Charlotte's watching us live right now and, and, and she says people need to check out Karima's coverage of the convoy and protest great citizen journalism from a fantastic funny and intelligent person uh, couldn't say it better myself so we'll let Charlotte assess your work uh, Karima yeah, we'll let you. you get to what you need to do this morning we really appreciate you spending time with us congratulations on, on <clears throat> what I can say seems like the right decision that was made uh, by Hamilton prosecutors yesterday in dropping those charges they said no reasonable chance of conviction on this one. Uh, We wish you all the best and we'll continue to follow your work. 
Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. Have a great day. Yeah, you got it. That's Karima Saad, and you can follow her on uh, on Twitter at Karima Rules. You can also check out KarimaRules.com. Uh, a ton of uh, biting uh, cartoons. She's, she's not a big fan of um, of not just the Doug Ford government, but also some of the, the journalism, the mainstream journalism that she sees. And, and she's called out a couple of columnists. Brian Lilly, in particular, has been the subject of a couple of her cartoons. Uh, as you can see there, Karima Rules is where you can follow her on Twitter. That conversation is presented in part by the team at Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. It's the time of year where the temperature drops, the days are shorter, and that means you're probably going to be using more utilities. So it's a great time to compare rates. What are you paying right now versus what would you pay with Park Power? Taking three minutes at parkpower.ca could save you hundreds of dollars over the next few months, especially if you bundle your internet, electricity, and natural gas. You'll save on admin costs. And even furthermore, the promo code 2022-REALTALK is going to knock $70 off your bill when you sign up today at parkpower.ca. Park Power, of course, is powering our RealTalk RJ hashtag. Our friends at Apex Automation are giving people back their time, not just their clients that have hired them to do automation, engineering, fabrication, and more, but also their team members. Professional engineers are moving over to work at Apex Automation because of the corporate culture there. It means opening new offices closer to clients so people can be home at night. It means working with autonomous vehicles and machinery, advanced process controls. You can see it all at apexautomation.ca. Robotics, remote terminal units, terminal management, alarm management, exciting stuff on the cutting edge of technology. If your engineering career needs a boost, a kickstart, if you've lost your passion and you want to get it back, today's a great day to get in touch with the team at Apex Automation. At Local Environmental Services, they're keeping it local and have been doing so for 25 years, still family-owned. Well, what does that mean? It means better service, better prices, better community connections in Alberta and Saskatchewan. They're more than just garbage. If you own a restaurant, a clothing store, a hotel, even if you just need a temporary front load or roll-off bin for a project at home, keep it local and request a quote today at localenvironmental.ca. Don't forget, they present Trash Talk every Friday on the show. You can get something off your chest by emailing us to talk at ryanjesperson.com. You make sure that you note in the subject line, it's for Trash Talk presented by Local Environmental Services. And our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you, they, they know, of course, that right now you're, you're looking outside, depending on where you're listening from. Our friends in the, the Southern Hemisphere, those of you that are tuning in from the beach are not experiencing what the rest of us are. But if there's a foot of snow outside, you might be forgetting how lousy or boring your front or backyard looked through the summer. But don't forget that resolve you had to do something about it. This is the perfect time of year to contact Eden Landscaping so they can get the design process going. They can put the order in to get those unique, special, elevated construction materials. The ones that will set your project apart. That means when the snow melts and the ground thaws, there's shovels in the ground right away with Eden Landscaping ready to go. You can browse their portfolio at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, of course, yesterday on the show, we spent some time talking about this by-election in Brooks Medicine Hat. Long story short, Danielle Smith wins down there, about 55% of the vote. She earns her seat in the Alberta legislature just in time for the upcoming session at the end of the month. Finishing second was Gwendolyn Dirk, the NDP candidate, and in third, about 10 points behind her, was Barry Morishita, the leader of the Alberta Party. How does this all impact the Alberta political landscape? What does the NDP take from this? With 26% of the vote and a strong campaign from their candidate there in a riding that is perceived to be a relatively speaking conservative stronghold. What might Rachel Notley be thinking about this and what might the next seven months or so ahead of the May 2023 anticipated election look like? 
Cheryl Oates has a pretty good idea. A longtime senior staffer in Rachel Notley's government, director of communications, now a consultant and public affairs advisor, making her Real Talk debut this morning. Welcome to the show. It's nice to see your face. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you again, even if it's on a screen. Yes, it is on a screen. At some point, we'll get you here live in the Real Talk studio. Aren't you living? Are you on the West Coast now, aren't you? I was on the West Coast, but, uh, you know, I'm a born and bred Albertan and I couldn't stay away. I'm officially and permanently back in Alberta. Oh, good. Well, welcome back to Alberta. You you've, uh, you tell us about for people that are going to see this on YouTube. Tell us about the painting behind you. That's, that's a beautiful one. We love to hear about people's <laughs> backgrounds. You know what? I will confess this painting is not mine. Okay. I am I am permanently in Alberta, but at the moment I'm in Toronto, and this is a good friend of mine's living room and her painting. Amazing. Which I wish I had more to tell you about, but I don't. Uh, hey, amazing. Hey, full disclosure and honesty. We'll take that too. It's yeah, transparency on Real Talk. Hey, Cheryl, you you obviously, I mean, you you were with, I mean, you and I have known each other a long time. You're a former journalist yourself. You spent a lot of time telling stories and getting to the bottom of stories and analyzing politics before you became part of the machine. And then you worked closely with Rachel Notley through that campaign you saw the orange crush election i'll never forget talking to you that night (laughs) trying to get the exclusive with alberta's next premier the next morning uh you sure had your hands full on what i know was an exciting night for that team and then four years of uh, a government that had interrupted a pc dynasty uh what do you make of when you take a look at the alberta political landscape right now obviously another new premier here's danielle smith a new look cabinet with a session set to launch before we start to get specifically into this by-election results what are your general observations about what you're seeing um i mean generally i think that alberta um is a place that has been evolving a lot over the last, you know, we're talking since 2015, a lot over the last eight years. And I think the parties that are um, working in the political scene within that have evolved a lot as well. Um, And I think you're going to see that come out through the course of, you know, the next six months and through the election. And in terms of the NDP, I think you'll see a lot of maturity in terms of lessons learned through government and lessons learned through time of politics and the ability to adapt to Um, what Albertans really, really care about and offering solutions to address those issues. Um, what do you make of, of of what you saw down in Brooks Medicine Hat? It's I, I I can I say that I don't think it was a surprise that that Daniel Smith won. I think most people were expecting to see that uh, Michaela Glasgow, Michaela Fry, uh, obviously won relatively decisively in in uh, 2019. But I know that the NDP didn't look at this as as a throwaway. They threw everything that they had at it. Quite frankly, at least in the context of a by election. Yeah, I, I think it would, um, you know, we always play to win. The NDP always plays to win. Um, but yes, it was not surprising that Danielle Smith won this seat. I think what was surprising is, you know, when you look at the numbers, she sat just over 50%, mm-hmm. which I guess is her happy place these days. Um, and that is, if you look at the last election where there was two conservative candidates Truly, um, if you look at the support for conservatives in that riding and you look at the result that Daniel Smith got, that is a 20 percent drop in what, like you said, has been historically a conservative stronghold. So when you look at those numbers um, and think about what's happening across the province, not just in major cities, which are have been viewed as more progressive and perhaps more fertile ground for the NDP, this is a conservative stronghold. And that is incredible progress um, for our side of politics there. And. Gwendolyn Dirk won the medicine hat part of that writing. That in itself is an inc- incredible success. Yeah. When it, when it comes to, you know, preparing for May of 2023, uh, there, there's, there's so much that happens from a political strategy standpoint that the public might not understand. And that includes pundits. Like I can think back to there have been times where the conservative movement in Alberta was experiencing uh, calls from within the House. There were problems within the party. I think of 17 MLAs penning a letter to then Premier Jason Kenney defiantly, you know, (laughs) suggesting that the COVID measures, the public health measures that he was endorsing were too much. And then you had people being booted out of caucus, right? I think of Todd Lowen and Drew Barnes and others. And all of the things that had happened that Jason Kenney's leadership review didn't go the way that he wanted and he resigned and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people are going, gosh, the NDP have been quiet through all of this. They sure haven't said much through all of this. There seems to be an opportunity here that they're not taking. 
Now, you were director of comms uh, for that former premier, now the leader of the official opposition. Take us into where her head may have been at and what the strategy may have been over the past six to 12 months. Um, it's funny that you say that the NDP were quiet through all of that. I think the NDP were quite loud through all of that, although maybe choosing their moments and choosing their messaging. I think the difference is that um, in terms of what's been happening with the UCP and in terms of the messaging coming out of Daniel Smith in her first couple of weeks as premier, it's a train wreck. It is hard to look away. Um, and in terms of breaking through that noise, uh, credible, stable opposition politics are just not going to break through. Um, and I think that's okay. Rachel Notley has been doing a very good job of um, going away over the last three and a half years and being very thoughtful about what comes next, spending her time talking to people, talking to businesses, talking to communities about what they're looking for from a government and putting forward a plan for a credible, stable majority. And that is not exciting politics compared to what's been going on in the UCP. So when you when you weigh those things against each other, I don't think it's a surprise that what we've heard from is mostly the antics of Jason Kenney and Daniel Smith. Hmm. And maybe they were louder than than it struck me as. Uh, sometimes it, it just seems like the loudest story it makes all the noise and oftentimes captures mm -hmm. all the attention. I mean, that was your business, right, for four years is to try to keep certain stories at the top of the news cycle and probably to try to keep a lot of stories out of the news cycle entirely, <laughs> right? You betcha. Yeah, this is a, an interesting observation that we had in response to one of our tweets yesterday uh, when we were talking about this by-election result and, and political watchers in Western Canada know the name Eric Denhoff. Uh, he's got a lot of experience and good insights. He says to me, an equal challenge uh, with regards to the implications of the by-election in Brooks Medicine had an equal challenge, he says, is that the NDP only has to be competitive in a formerly slam-dunk UCP riding to divert resources from the UCP's main campaign you know that means leader time money staff time etc he says it makes life tougher for the united conservative team to be spread thinner i thought that was a good insight and it's probably not just brooks medicine hat where that might apply over the next six months yeah i think there has been an opportunity and it's a growing opportunity of course there is a huge presence and a lot of resources in edmonton um there are a ton of resources and efforts in calgary but as this, um, this election evolves and the conversation in Alberta evolves, there is a lot more openings for conversations um, with constituents and an openness to learning about the NDP and writings that historically haven't been open to it. So yes, that means that there is an opportunity to spend more time, spend more money, spend more personal resources in places like Brooks Medicine Hat, which you know maybe in previous elections wouldn't have been a place when you weigh all of the writings, a place that should have been a focus. Um, but this latest by-election shows that there is real momentum growing in places outside of historical um, NDP uh, seats. And I think that is a, a trend that will continue through the next six months months, and certainly through the election. Let me ask you about the brand itself. Uh, the NDP brand uh, recently underwent a rebrand, uh, which I know you know. Um, gone is all of the orange. There's more blue to it with the Alberta NDP. Uh, what do you read into that? There's, there's, there's obviously a lot of strategy that goes into rebranding a political party. Yeah, I love the NDP's new brand. I think it um, harnesses a lot of the emotions that Alberta feels right now, which is, you know, something fresh, something optimistic, something that reflects um, the landscape of this, of, you know, I'm in Toronto right now, but of, of Alberta, mm -hmm. you know, you see the mountains there, you see the farmland there, you see a few extra colors in there. The orange is still quite dominant and it is in most of um, the NDP's products as well. But Alberta, Calgary, Edmonton, those more rural ridings that we talked about, there is a lot of, despite everything that's gone on over the last couple of years, a lot of optimism and a lot of energy. And I think that it makes sense that the NDP's brand reflects that. Do you think that there was a brand problem? Like, Do you think that the brand itself uh, gets in the way of, of people voting for a party whose, whose policies might actually align with their priorities or whose leader might actually be quite likable? But there, there's like a preconceived kind of a, you know, people just kind of bristle when they hear it. Uh, I mean, obviously, that's something that you probably work to combat. Um, the, Alberta is a complicated place. And, you know, I'm from Lethbridge originally. And there are a ton of people in Lethbridge who 
um, you know, have historically voted conservative, whose parents voted conservative, whose grandparents voted conservative. Um, there are a lot of stereotypes and stigmas to break through in Alberta that don't exist in other provincial jurisdictions. And, you know, branding is always one of them. I think Rachel Notley has done a really good job of um, telling Albertans what the Alberta NDP is and contrasting that with some of their misconceptions or some of the conceptions of the federal party. And above all, although she is a new Democrat through and through, and she always will be a new Democrat, Rachel Notley has done a really great job, and I'm sure she will continue to do it, of saying, um, yes, I support the NDP. Yes, I am a new Democrat, but first, before any of that allegiance comes my allegiance to Alberta. And I think more and more, especially through her fight for the Trans Mountain Pipeline, Albertans are starting to hear that. What do you see as as being like if you're if you were director of comms or your senior strategist with this party, if you're preparing for this next election, what would you say are going to be like the top one or two priorities? Where do you think this election is going to be won or lost? I think it is really clear where Albertans priorities lie right now, like top of the list. It's really clear affordability. People are worried about paying for their groceries. They're frustrated with costs that have gone up like insurance. They are, um, you know, in some cases, they're worried about putting food on their table. In some of the more um, easier situations, it's about do we have enough cash to scrape together to take our family on vacation this year? Those are the things that Albertans are grappling right now, grappling with right now. Affordability is certainly the top of the list. And what a government could do to ease some of that pressure on families is the big question. And then secondly, across the province, healthcare is something that families in every jurisdiction are concerned about. They're concerned about family doctors and access to family doctors, getting the healthcare they need when they need it and access to things like emergency services. When something terrible happens, will the healthcare system be there to help me? Will they be there to take me to the hospital should I need it? Um, and this, both of those issues, um, along with uh, what Alberta's economy looks like now and into the future and how we can continue to um, support and grow jobs, good mortgage paying jobs in the province. Those are the top three issues that really, I think both campaigns will be focused on. Everybody's talking about Calgary as the battleground where the election is going to be won or lost and, and people, including me oversimplify the political dynamic for sure. Right. People go Edmonton, (laughs) NDP, rural UCP, (laughs) and that leaves Calgary. That's kind of how people (laughs) evaluate it. And of course there's nuance. And of course that's not always the way that it works. And, and Lethbridge will be a battleground and Red Deer will be a battleground and Grand Prairie will be, I mean, there's going to be tons. Obviously Wood Buffalo is going to be a big one. Uh, But how does this party, how does the NDP campaign, do you think differently in Calgary, how does it approach Calgary? It's not like they're not going to work hard in Edmonton, but I would imagine they're going to be diverting some resources down to the southern capital of, if I could say, the southern population center of Calgary. Yeah, um, Calgary is a really interesting dynamic because, as you know, it is a city that has many seats that have historically voted conservative, and the NDP's job is to try to win those people over. But, you know, simply going in and saying we can do a better job for you than the conservatives have in the past or that the conservatives will do in the future is not good enough. It's not going to be good enough. And the NDP has seen that for the last few years. Some of this is um, paving the way for those previous conservative voters, those people who feel politically homeless right now, who feel like Daniel Smith is not a leader who represents their priorities and their values, leaving the door open for those people to consider the NDP. Um, and it's also a bit of a shift because although people in Calgary are certainly worried about healthcare, just as uh, people in the rest of the province are, they are also equally as worried about the economy. And what the NDP has to do in Calgary is really lean into its economic message. And it has been doing that. It has spent, like I said, three and a half years talking to business leaders and communities, and it's put together some really, really thoughtful policy work um, to back that up. And so it's coming to the table with credible policies. It's coming to the table as an option for a stable, credible majority government. And it's laying it out for people who are looking for not just um, a party that can solve the healthcare crisis, but a party that has a real economic plan for the future. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough dance that the NDP does in Alberta, isn't it? Like, like you, you may cringe when I, let, let me get this out and then you can <laughs> respond. But I, I, a lot of people, and it, it's kind of funny, like in Alberta, people say it like as a compliment 
they say Rachel Notley is the most conservative NDP leader in history, (laughs) but they're saying it as a compliment. But Rachel Notley can't say that because there's a strong base of support for the NDP and she's really got to walk a fine line. But you see the NDP dismissed federally or, you know, attempted to be dismissed federally and provincially by people talking about the socialist NDP and the socialist agenda. When you actually take a look at the policy, I mean, there is there are examples of socialism in Canada for sure. I mean, obvious examples in in Canada. We look at our Medicare. We look at our public education. We look at public transit. There's a lot of uh, where where socialism under conservative or NDP or liberal governments exists. But there's been this kind of this balance or this tightrope, it seems, that that Rachel Notley's got to walk, convincing people that the government has the priorities that they would expect from an NDP government, but at the same time, the economic credibility. And that's got to fly in the face of a lot of the criticism that they face. Um, I don't think this is unique necessarily to Rachel Notley. I think there are a number of NDP leaders who do this well. And typically it's NDP leaders in the prairies because um, the economic makeup of the provinces is such that you can't, you can't grow the economy. And uh, I mean, it, 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 things don't happen in a silo on the prairies and, and NDP, NDP leaders have been very alive to that. You've heard Rachel Notley say before, we will not introduce policy that leaves working people behind. And that has been at the core of her messaging and her policy since she became an elected member. Um, But yes, the NDP has to do multiple things just as any elected leader is expected to do and any party is expected to do. And supporting social services like healthcare and education have been the bread and butter of the NDP for a very long time for history and they will continue to be. That's not going anywhere. But what you will see from the Alberta NDP is certainly a lean into economic messaging and a lean into those credible policies and paths forward that they have been spending time putting together over the last three and a half years. And that might look different than it has in the past because that's what Albertans are focused on and that's what Albertans expect. You won't like this question. Um, are, are you planning on returning to politics? <laughs> um, you know, I don't feel like I've ever really left politics, to mm-hmm. be honest. I don't work in a paid capacity with the NDP. I, um, but I, I just can't stay away. I think the party is what's best for Alberta. I love Alberta. And I, um, you know, I have a daughter that will grow up in Alberta. And I think that the future that is best for her and best for my family is one where the NDP is leading, is leading the province. And so I've never really left and I probably never will because I will continue to do what I can to support the party. That's a pretty candid answer. It's a pretty candid answer. Can you see yourself returning in an official capacity come campaign time? I mean, that's going to be kicking off any moment now. Are you? Are you would you like to see yourself? I mean, a lot of people are saying that. Uh, I mean, it depends who you talk to. Obviously, um, I mean, if you talk to to backers of Danielle Smith, they believe they're pedal to the metal and they're going to win this next election. You talk to supporters of the NDP and they believe that this election is is theirs to lose. That's got to be appealing to somebody that's worked in a premier's office before. Yeah, like I said, I, like, I've i never been far away and yeah. I'm close to the campaign and I will continue to advise the campaign. And uh, and honestly, Rachel Notley is a mentor, but she is also a good friend who I deeply, deeply respect and I will help her in any way I can. That's Cheryl Oates. Uh, you can check out what Cheryl's doing right now uh, at gtandcompany.ca. She's a principal there. Uh, joining us live from Toronto. I didn't realize you had moved back to Alberta. Welcome back to Alberta. And it's nice to talk Thank to you, you again, Cheryl. Thanks. Talk to you soon. You bet. We'll get Cheryl, of course, uh, back on political panels and roundtables in the weeks and months to come. Always appreciate her informed insights. I mean, you talk to the director of communications for a premier. Uh, That's somebody that has controlled and steered and managed the messaging. They get it. Uh, So when we took a look at that Brooks Medicine Hat by-election, there was one person in particular that we wanted to talk to, and that was her. That was Cheryl Oates, so we appreciate that. That interview presented by our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Of course, the signature Stackburger collection is uh, one that, uh, well, they kind of speak for themselves. And, and John, I talk about them a lot. Uh, I wanted to let you know that I I checked out the Bacon Two Cheese Deluxe just the other day. (laughs) And the best thing that I can say about the Dairy Queen signature Stackburgers in Palisades de Mayo, Newcastle, Westmount, and in Sherwood Park on Baseline Road They look in real life exactly like they look in the advertisements. And you can't always say that about the burgers. Well, they got the new flamethrower burger. You can get it in the the third pound double. I I recommend the triple if you've got a real hunger. Of course, with the crispy jalapeno bacon, the pepper jack cheese. 
This is one you're going to want to check out while you're there. Maybe check out their Fall Blizzard collection as well, including the Pumpkin Pie Blizzard, the Cinnamon Roll Center Blizzard. Ay, ay, ay. The more I talk about them, the hungrier I get for a visit to the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Also want to let you know that at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, as new stock comes in, it means it's better for the buyers because they're looking to make room on their lots. It means that there's a lot of specials. You can browse them online. You can shop today at SherwoodDodge.com, StAlbertDodge.com as well. And that includes the Dodge Ram, the 1500, that is. The one I've been driving. Absolutely love it. It's the back-to-back-to-back Motor Trend Truck of the Year. And, of course, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, North America's best-selling SUV in history. You will not find a better selection than you will at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Coming up on tomorrow's broadcast, as mentioned, a special edition of Real Talk as we observe Remembrance Day. It's November 11th. We'll check in with Sapria DeVetti, find out where her head's at. We're going to talk to a mental health expert on PTSD and sometimes the cost of service. And our Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber, the story of connection relating to World War II and D-Day that happened as a result of an interview right here on Real Talk. We'll see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer, Josh Dunford. Technical Producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.